0: Hello, and welcome to Three Association,
1: a podcast about compassionate, contemplative, evocative supervision for spiritual
0: directors, created by supervisors trained in the Together in the Mystery model. I'm Tara Owens. And I'm Maria Tattoo Bowen.
1: We're glad you're here.
0: Now, let's listen in on today's Three Association conversation.
1: Welcome, Susan.
2: Thank you. It's a delight to be here, Tara.
0: Yes, we're so happy to have you here, Susan. I want to just, I'm I'm completely grateful that you showed up for this today. And I want to just say a few words about you before we begin our conversation. So Susan, you and I have been colleagues for uh, 20 years and friends and just, I have such respect for your work. Uh, Susan has written such books as Candlelight, Illuminating the Art of Spiritual Direction, which I highly recommend, particularly for people just starting out in direction, tells stories about direct, you know, real experiences in spiritual direction, gives people the feel for what that's like. Also, The Cultivated Life, from Ceaseless Striving to Receiving Joy, which is another beautiful book on how to just have a, a life with God, a rich life with God. Um, and Susan, before we even begin talking about boundaries, I wonder if you could share with us something from the cultivated life, namely the research that you did on the origins of the word spiritual direction. Because that's such a feels kind of heavy handed as a term in our current world, but it has this really beautiful origin story. So.
2: Yeah, sure. Happy to, Maria. Thank you. Um, So when I wrote Candlelight, uh, I thought it would be nice to know the origins of the term spiritual direction. So I asked all the senior writers in the field of spiritual direction where it came from, and no one actually knew. So um, I had to go forward with the book not being, I I sort of like an etymological search on words because it's so revealing, but I wasn't able to do that. So the person who took the photograph for the cover of Candlelight is the librarian and monk at St. Catherine's Monastery in the Sinai, which is a monastery that's been there since sixth, seventh century. He's also a historian and you know he runs the library. And so, we were at the, the, you know, the cover photo stage of the book, which is pretty late. And I told him I was doing this hunt for this. He said, I will find out. Ah. Father Justin. And he did find out that it comes from John Climacus, who wrote The Ladder of Divine Ascent, Mm a long, long time ago, ninth century or something. And in only one edition of the book that you can find in English, does it have a, an appendix called a letter to the shepherd? And that's where he uses the, the words spiritual director. And the word is Kubernetes with a K. And we get cybernetics and it's the K in Phi Beta Kappa. So that word is kind of around but we don't use it really. But Paul used it, the apostle Paul used it because it was the word for a pilot on a ship. The the person who boards the ship stands next to the captain and says, over there, you might find certain kind of current. Over there, the depth is only so much. So someone who knows the area, but someone who does not seize control of the steering wheel or the ship, but helps a person navigate through a particular area that's somewhat challenging, primarily through drawing attention. It also is used by Paul for the gift of administration. You know, when he lists different gifts of the spirit. So it's the gift of coming alongside another in ministry. So I love the word. Thank you,
0: Maria. (gasps) Me too. And I've been tempted to find some other word at various times in my career. But as soon as you told me that, I'm I'm sticking to it. I just want to be about that word.
1: (laughs) That's so beautiful. And I love the richness and depth of, I don't know, like you, Maria, I don't know a single director who said, I love the term spiritual director. Uh, And if they do, I... (laughs) A little concerned, uh, but to like hear it in that, in that um, the depth of it and the, the act of attention the, the, the calling of someone's attention is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, it's like the way
0: we
2: light a candle sometimes in spiritual direction. it just mm-hmm. directs attention toward the mystery, toward the holy. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. So Susan, as we talk about boundaries, we're going to just free associate with that word. Um, And Maria, what comes to your mind when you hear the word boundaries? Well,
0: I think of respect and safety and care. I think there would have been a time in my life where I would have felt like constriction and straitjacket. But now it feels like boundaries feel like the the fence around the playing field that allows me to play safely in there.
1: Mm, mm, I love that. How about you, Susan?
2: Well, the first images that come to my mind are the skin on the body or the bark on the tree that allow you know, the integrity of the organism, allow for growth and health and internal flow. Um, And yet also have some permeability, the right sort of permeability.
1: Mm -hmm. So safety and nourishment Mm -hmm. and sort of
2: healthy engagement Mm -hmm. with the outer world.
0: Hmm.
1: I love that. So I too had a very organic image as I've been thinking about the word boundaries. I've been thinking about um, ecosystems and how they, um, how they change and the, how you have estuaries in between different ecosystems. And those can be a place where new life arises, but they, they also tend to be really stinky. Um, (laughs) if there's too much mixing there and like you, Maria, I used to think of boundaries as walls or, um, sort of a constricting thing, but I've come to think of boundaries more like the womb, Hmm. um, a place of, of nourishment and growth. And, um, yeah, so I, I, love how we're playing with the word this way
0: yes yes and and in your image tar i mean that also that boundary is the place between the crops or between ecosystems is the fruitful place it's mm-hmm. the place where the new life really springs forward so to not have it is to miss that yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
2: i'm drawn to that amniotic imagery too because yeah. i often think of the spiritual direction space as sort of amniotic, mm. where the person is held in this safe place to be fully open to uh, what God is
1: bringing. Yeah, mm. I love that.
0: Wow, what a great place to begin our conversation yeah. about beyond. I wonder what your experience of boundaries in spiritual direction is and and setting boundaries and also perhaps negotiating that with people who come to you for supervision when a boundary has been crossed. So jump in anywhere you want in that.
2: Well, there there are a lot of different kinds of boundaries in spiritual direction. There's the, the boundary between professions. So what is spiritual direction? You know, it's not this, it's not that, it is this. So there's that kind of boundary. And the clearer that is, the better. And then there are the interpersonal boundaries um, that hold a clear and um, potent space for the work. Because the confidentiality allows the directee to be fully self-revealing, and that's a kind of space most of us don't have very much of in our lives. And in spiritual direction, you know, sometimes we're working with people who have kind of professional religious roles. So how wonderful, or for me, I've had a professional religious role, to be with my director and to know I can say anything I want to about what's really authentically going on in me or not going on. But if there were not the appropriate boundaries of confidentiality and role, I would, I would, you know, my, my inclination is to care for the other, to listen to the other. So I'm very glad she has the boundary that she is the director and I'm the directee. And I feel greatly relieved that she I know she will not be sharing what I say with other people.
0: Tara, what have you found about boundaries in your own practice of spiritual direction or supervision? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think the thing that is most fresh for me right now when I think about boundaries, because I have students um, in spiritual direction and then my own spiritual direction practice and supervision practice, is how often I come up against them. (laughs) How often um, tending to the boundary places is the work of my own soul and the work that um, I am, I am offering to attend to with others. It is the, it is the thing that I think seems most fungible in our culture. Um, there's this just sense of, of boundary transgression all the time. Um, and there are fewer and fewer places I find for myself where, um, Boundary tending is is held as sacred work, um, and I think about that in self care for myself. I think about that in um, the tending of the soul of another, and imagine like the the kind of imagination that it requires to tend a boundary well. Um, that is that has the to use the Ignatian term has, is full of holy indifference. Um, we were, I was recently with someone who was talking about, they once made a sandwich for their directee. And normally I would not say don't make, like, that's not, not a good boundary to, but there was the circumstances were of that the sandwich was appropriate. The sandwich was prompted by God. Um, but to understand that there are, um, for me, that there are boundaries around what it means to tend my role and to, to know that this time is for the supervisee and for the directee, and that I am tending my boundaries out, like I'm tending myself outside of this space. is um, another sort of, oh, all the ways that the boundaries are interconnected um, feels really um,
0: important to me really noticed that. Um, It's so interesting when new directors um, start offering direction. Often there's such an eagerness to serve. You know, we people with such beautiful hearts that are coming into this ministry really eager to listen and eager to serve. And when it comes to holding certain boundaries, like the boundary of time would be a boundary, like agreeing on a certain length of time for a session and then ending when that's over how often a new director will say, well, that's okay. Like, I don't care. Like, I can give more time, you know, things like that. But not realizing that it's not really just about us as directors. It's also about the directee. Maybe they have something right after this. And it's, it puts them in a bind if the director goes over, you know, or maybe it's just, it, it, or maybe they start to expect that you're going to go over all the time if that happens. So it, the boundary is a kind of a protective, you know, it allows for fruitful work together, but it's also really protective of the director and the directee. And to just let that be in place, whether it's a boundary between uh, spiritual direction and psychology or between uh are about time, or about all kinds, we have lists of boundaries are floating around. Um, to just sort of trust that there's a reason, and then sometimes there's a reason to cross it, but that's a discerning. There's no reason to violate a boundary, but there may be a reason to cross it now and
1: again. Mm, that's a very important phrase, to, I think, just to, and distinction. There, there is no reason to violate a boundary. There may occasionally be a discerned reason to cross it. Right. A sandwich. Yeah, as a sandwich. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sandwich.
2: <laughs> yeah. And if we have strong boundaries, then we have the potential of making that kind of caring exception. Yeah. But if we're always supplying a sandwich, then that's not very significant. Mm-hmm. But if if there's, you know, someone's coming in hypoglycemic someone we've worked with for several years and they, that's what they need. Then that's the caring exception.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And a boundary practice really allows for very powerful caring exceptions, whereas an unbounded practice doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what are the, what are some other examples, Susan of a, a caring exception one might make in mm-hmm. spiritual direction or supervision?
2: Well, I haven't thought about this for years, but when Tara mentioned the sandwich, I thought, hmm, I once bought a directy, de- uh, an umbrella. <laughs> 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 because she would show up late at night at my office and sometimes it was raining and she always would say, I, you know, I forgot my umbrella. So I finally instead of just sitting there worrying about her as she dripped on the chair I thought well, you know I could solve this I could buy her an umbrella so I did so it was a caring inse- exception maybe caring for me
1: it sounds like you're <laughs> too. Yeah, but that's
0: important too is for you to listen well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: well uh, I love the the how Susan, you said that it's, it's the having of strong boundaries that allows for the care, like that that has the power of, um, of, of exception in it. Um, I remember uh, when I became a new parent, um, and this was when my daughter was an infant, um, I had another parent say, save an expletive and like don't use expletives around your child but save it for that one moment (laughs) it actually will have effect in a way that changes everything Mm -hmm. and it but if I was using that language all the time it wouldn't mean anything Mm -hmm. um and uh, it I've thought about I think about that in spiritual direction believe it or not in supervision but the 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 boundaries like for me one of the ones that I find gets pushed up against a lot is communication outside of the session. Um, Because we're so used to being instantly accessible to everyone um, all the time that having a boundary around communication, around what communication looks like with your directee or with your supervisor allows for a strong, there's a strong boundary and, and a sense that someone is caring for your time and guarding their own time and is not instantly, accept- like it has the kind of interior life where they're, they're not instantly accessible all the time, mm-hmm. um, which feels like an important um, thing to know about yourself, but also about your director and about your supervisor.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. early on with one of my supervisees, I remember Somehow he didn't get the memo about not contacting in between. And so he was having conversations and then they'd get into the session and there'd be just no juice there, like no energy to really connect. And it's like it all drained away and all of those little side conversations. So it sort of, it, it, it just took away the, that kind of sacred quality of the conversation. Yeah. And um, that, that seems really important to yes. attend to. I also want to say, in case it's helpful to anyone, I finally ended up getting a self-scheduler for my um, ministry because that cuts down on the many emails that I would get about changing sessions or when could I meet or those kinds of things that sometimes would come with a little extra you know, not just I need an appointment, but oh, this thing happened. And then my dilemma of well, how do, do I just ignore this thing? I that doesn't feel right. And, you know, it just got it was very complicated. So that self schedulers just kind of really
1: mm.
0: g- given me such space. And there are, you know, there are a couple people who don't love using it. So I just schedule with them at the end of my sessions. And that's mm-hmm. okay, too. But um, for me, it's another better. kind of boundary. It's a boundary,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And when you both were talking about supervisees or directees getting in touch between sessions, um, I think a, a blessing of the stronger boundary is that when, say, a supervisee does get in touch with me, I know this is serious.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: There's that well, potency. Yeah, and I, I keep, potency, I love the word. I also hear the word sacred. Like there's something of of set apartness of the word holy mm-hmm. that, is, that is in the work that we do. It's often called holy listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something to tending the set apartness um, that feels connected to our discussion of boundaries here. Yeah,
0: yeah, this is a really, really, intentional space we're creating
2: isn't it -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're feeling it now I think
0: yeah Mm -hmm. it does feel that way Mm -hmm. (laughs) good call Susan (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. I know I've had uh, people come to see me and say they feel like they're sort of slipping inside the tent you know and yeah. the, the tent closes, and it's it's a sacred place. Mm, yeah. yeah, I feel I feel that with my spiritual director, and it's astonishing to me how Zoom can hold that space.
0: Yeah, mm. or
2: even the phone. The phone holds hold it for space. me all the
0: time. Yeah, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And I I think about that reality and what it means to encourage supervisees to tend those boundaries um so that that like the tent sides aren't open all the time (laughs) that there's a sense of um to to use the word from your book susan cultivation Mm -hmm. um and that this isn't um there's a wildness, there's a holy wildness to it, but there is, there is the things that are necessary mm-hmm. for the practice of spiritual direction that are, they may overlap other helping modalities, but it's different and mm-hmm. to say it's different and to say this is not um, therapy. And these are the things that make spiritual direction, spiritual direction mm-hmm. feels really key.
0: Mm-hmm. Susan, what are your observations about the kinds of boundaries that directors tend to cross, maybe even without realizing it, and then find they get themselves in some trouble?
2: Well, what you mentioned about time, the temptation to extend time. Um, some of the people I supervise who are fairly new directors are very tempted to accept invitations to various things from directees, um, birthday parties, oh. graduations, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, so we talk about that. Sometimes it's, it's particularly difficult because people they've let into their practice are people they do have dual roles with. So that's complicated. Um, Some some people have a hard time finding a, a steady space in which to see people, but that can be so helpful. And then to sort of attend to the space and what it communicates about yourself as a director. Do you really wanna be communicating that? Maybe it's too much information about you. Maybe it's inaccurate information about you. Maybe it's not forthright sufficiently with something you ought to be communicating. So, um, all those things have meaning and they all, I think, I think boundary maintenance is something that we learn about as we go. Mm -hmm. And I really think, you know, some school teachers say they don't smile until uh, November. I think it's, (laughs) it's really good to start with tight boundaries. If it seems appropriate to loosen them, that's possible. But if you've loosened them, it feels like um, deprivation or even punishment to tighten them.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And yeah, with if we have, what I find about tighter boundaries is it gives us a really clean listening space. It's an, it's an uncomplicated listening space. And when stu- things like dual relationships happen or multiple relationships happen, um, suddenly it's a complicated space as I'm trying to, you know, sort out the fact that, oh, we're on the same committee and I have some issues with that committee member too. And, you know, and then how much do I say about that? And suddenly it's just, I'm not free inside. I'm not I'm not spacious anymore. And so, if we can think sometimes about boundaries as ma- helping us maintain a really uncomplicated, free space to hear the spirit, because it's hard to hear the spirit when it's all of that s- stirring inside sometimes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I want to say a word about, um, about a decision. Sometimes, you know, we make these boundaries, uh, two things. It's important to be aware of cultural context. So there are lots of generic boundary lists around, but really being intentional about naming the boundaries that fit for your context because for example if you decide you're not going to accept any gifts and you're living in a context in which that would be a terrible insult not to accept a gift Mm
1: -hmm. then
0: that's doing more harm than good to hold that boundary in that context so really important to be contextual about it And then the other piece I want to say is I want to just a reference to an article I wrote in presence about boundaries because it has a process for discerning boundary crossings Mm -hmm. so that kind of doing a cost benefit analysis so we really are clear. On what's it's cost what what it's costing and what the benefit is for both me and my directee or supervisee if I ca- cross this boundary mm, and sometimes so
2: helpful the, article.
0: oh thank you <laughs> thank so you.
2: helpful
0: though so the process has been helpful for me and I'm I with all uh, Thanksgiving to Ofer Zer who I based it on his work in in psychology but um, I really uh, I, it's just interesting how often it actually is a benefit to cross a boundary, but we don't really know that uh, clearly unless we um, take a discerning view.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think Maria, that, um, and I, I just have to echo the, it, it is such a lovely, helpful article, um, but that, it, that what I, it strikes me is that the process of discernment around our boundaries brings us to greater self-awareness, and cultural other awareness in a way that sort of tending to those boundaries, naming them, considering even how we feel about other people's boundaries or other, like the, the boundaries that are expressed around us begins to give us the kind of awareness that, that gets to those growing edges those places where where god is forming us and where we may have resistance and to have some curiosity around um the why do i why do i think it's okay to direct my best friend's mother and why do i have some resistance about about not like where, where am I entangled in a relationship where I'm getting my my needs for belovedness met mm. by, per, by performing yeah. um, for, a, and to be able not only, I mean, I think the thing that I do on a regular basis is bring my discernment around boundaries to supervision, um, to know that this is not something that I am doing in a vacuum um, and that my supervisor is, is helping um, ask those questions that I know that I don't know <laughs> to ask myself. Yeah. So there's the first level of, of self-awareness around boundaries, and then there's the ability to take it to my supervisor who then asks me questions that I might not have the imagination for because I'm within the system, or that's my growing edge, or um, it, it just feels like such a fruitful place to be able to bring to, a, to the, the supervision conversation.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think everything you've said about boundaries is very helpful and how our discernment around them and attention to them really helps us uh, learn more about who we are because yeah. it kind of bridges the conscious and unconscious. So, some of our reactions to boundaries are completely unconscious. So direction or supervision can help bring it to consciousness, which is so helpful. And dialogue yeah. with a directee or supervisee around boundaries can be very helpful for them.
0: Yeah. And I I, I really appreciate you, Susan, saying the thing about is it, it can be um, conscious or unconscious. Because I I have, as a supervisor, encountered many times people crossing boundaries without having any ideas that they are doing it or of the harm that that could cause over time. Mm -hmm. And so, and particularly those of us, and I'll include myself here, who've had our boundaries crossed as children in ways that have harmed us, sometimes it can be difficult to even identify a boundary. I've noticed there are sort of a subset of people who've had their boundaries crossed as children that sort of can't find a boundary. They don't really just don't know where they are. They wouldn't recognize it if they saw it. And then my response was different. It was really tight boundaries. I'm going to make sure everything's really buttoned up. And none of neither of those responses is all that helpful in spiritual direction, because we really need to have a little flexibility when the you know and when that's appropriate around boundaries so that the role of supervision is just essential to us as as supervisors when it comes to navigating boundaries in a way that maintain our own well-being and that of our directees and supervisees So Susan, we're coming to the end, and as is our practice at the end, we'd like to invite you to share with us a concrete example of a time that you've had experienced transformation as a supervisee when you visited your own supervisor.
2: Yes, and this is um, the story that comes to my mind is about the the boundary around what spiritual direction itself is. So I had, I was working with a direct be a man who, um, well, he he actually blew through a lot of boundaries. So he would arrive very late or he would uh, cancel very late. Um, But the boundary I brought to her was what am I doing with him? because he would come in, he would just talk, and I would listen, and there was really no space for me to speak. And it just was unclear what was going on. And I became frustrated with this and brought it to my supervisor. And she, as always, oriented towards me and my directee with great love. And she helped me see that I was probably the only person in his life he had who would listen to him. And that though the spiritual um, content of his speech was, was far and few between, that um, I was helping him discover certain you know, treasures in his life with God. And he was very slowly developing more of a, a spiritual language, spiritual awareness. But she she helped me relax, actually, and not be as concerned about uh, what exactly I was doing. So it was all boundaried in a professional sort of way. There wasn't... Uh, you know, a a mingling of our lives outside of this space. But I was very glad I continued working with him because at some point I'd noticed he became more and more lethargic and thinner. And he said he wasn't feeling very good. And I recommended he see a physician and then he got a terminal diagnosis. And he was ill for about 10 years and we kept working together. And I think it was an anchoring relationship for him
0: oh
2: it it helped him pray yeah but it wasn't you know textbook spiritual traction yeah so that was i don't know if that's a caring exception to the boundary or if she was just helping me clarify what the heart of the work is yeah
0: yeah
1: I love that. Thank you, Susan, for being with us today. It is such a delight. Um, And for those who are interested in uh, Susan's work, we will be linking to her books in the show notes and are just grateful for you listening
0: today. Thanks for joining us for today's three association conversations.
1: This and every Three Association episode can be found at threeassociation.com, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast feed.
0: We appreciate you being with us. Please feel free to forward this or any Three Association conversation to those who might benefit. Blessings on your life and